Hello and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your discussions about film. Um, I've got my jacket on because British summer time's here. It's That's right, it's raining and it's kind of cold. Uh, but we will power on through. Um, one thing that has come up this week is a thing called DC Fandom. Or fandom? I don't know how they're saying it. Fandom, fandom. Uh, and basically, it's going to be like a big convention thing, but for DC films, obviously. Um, but it got me thinking because I heard, uh, well, I've heard that the San Diego, San Diego, San Diego Comic Con is also doing an online convention. But it's come out this week that Star Wars Celebration is not happening this year. It's also not happening next year for different reasons. But um, I don't know, it got me thinking about these online conventions, because I, myself, have never, I've been to one convention in my life, I've been to LA Comic Con once, uh, it was kind of fun, uh, seeing, I saw a guy dressed up as Optimus Prime in balloons, uh, that was good fun, but, um, I've never been to one of these kind of big things where they announce lots of stuff. And I think it's cool that they're doing online stuff because it means that more people can actually get involved and see it. I think there may be some sort of streams anyway during the year. I mean, I watched uh, E3 last year, which is like the gaming uh, sort of convention where they announced loads of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's just a, I think it's an interesting kind of direction that they're they're going in. And I think it's a very I think it's a good one. I think it's one that they should stick with really. Uh, and kind of carry on with it. Obviously, Star Wars celebrations not happening. Um, they aren't aren't bothering. I don't know whether that's because they. I was going to say they don't have a lot of stuff in the pipeline because there's not necessarily kind of any news on the film front. Uh, I mean, the Mandalorian season two is coming out this year, so I mean, you could do stuff on that. But the Clone Wars has finished. There's I don't know. In terms of Star Wars, there may not be an awful lot of stuff that they could actually kind of do because everything's sort of like, I don't know, 2022 sort of thing. Um, but so maybe that's why they're not doing it. But um, yeah, I just think that, that it's a really good idea for people that can't, for some re- for one reason or another, can't get to these kind of big events because you can only get so many people in those events and you don't want to be watching someone's kind of, crappy camera footage of of the event so i think it it's a really good idea that they're doing it this way um i don't know how they're going to get kind of the the atmosphere in the crowd sort of thing but i think it's uh it's a nice way i mean if we go back to e3 nintendo themselves um have for years they've been doing these things called directs where they basically just make a presentation beforehand and so they don't do like a they don't get people on stage to talk about stuff. They just do it all to camera, and then they just show that video. So they've always like doing that anyway. They're almost like ahead of the game on it. So I think it's a thing that could kind of creep into stuff more and more. Uh, in terms of gaming, PlayStation have been doing that. They've been doing state of plays where. Um, so I think it's it's something that uh, may creep into kind of uh, kind of pop culture more and more. And obviously, this is kind of. DC are doing their own, so maybe they start, might start doing it uh, themselves at different times during the year, or different to like Comic Con. So that means maybe they won't be at Comic Con and things like that. So I think it's kind of a twofold thing that yes, we'll get to see more stuff, but maybe they kind of because if stuff goes online more and more, then you get you you get people getting to see it more and more. But you also have that kind of flip side of those events may start to kind of die down a little bit. But I, I don't know. I don't necessarily feel uh, kind of massively on either side, really. I mean, I it's fun to kind of keep up with these sort of things and it's fun having, like, these big kind of announcements and, and things like that. But, um, I mean, I've like I say, I've never been to one of these things. So, I mean, I, I can't... I In terms of kind of the having these big events, I, I'm not too fussed about it because i've never been to one and probably won't ever go to one so um i don't know it's i think for the majority of people they would prefer having these online things um as long as you kind of keep them as like a big event and don't just do them like every month or so i think that's that would be a really good thing and something that people will look forward to and can actually access 
but we'll move on. Alphaset. Um, Alphaset is where I look at three films from a letter of the alphabet. Each week, they're films that I've not seen before, and this week is Set F. If you uh, do follow me on Twitter, at Walker, then you will also know, as well as me, what films that I have been watching. And you may, as well as me, have watched these films this week. Um, but, for those who haven't, firstly, why not? You should do. But secondly, um, these films are a surprise to you, so this will be fun. Uh, so, Set F... Um, there's plenty of F films out there. I did have a list in my head that I was going to go through, but I can't think of them. Finding Nemo, it's not that. Uh, I have seen that. It's a great film. Also, not Finding Dory. I have seen that. It's not Finding Leverland, the one with Johnny Depp where he plays the writer of uh, Peter Pan. It's not that. I have seen that. It's kind of fine. I don't know. I saw it a while ago. It is not Fargo. I don't want to see Fargo. Um, I do not like Coen Brothers films um, at all. Maybe controversial to say, I've seen about three of them, and I hated every single one of them, so I'm not going to see it. Though I will see the TV show, because uh, I like the guy that made it. Um, but the first film that we are doing is not only the first film, it's called First Man. That's right, it is the astronaut Neil Armstrong film. It's basically the life and times of Neil Armstrong in the 1960s, up to the moon landing, uh, which... As, as everyone is aware, it was 1969. Um, it came out in 2018. Well, let's do, let's do some numbers and some facts. Uh, it came out in, in 2018. Uh, it, it had a $59 million budget, which seems kind of low to me for the for a film like this, but uh, they made it work, and it made $106 million. So it did lose a little bit of money. Um, just a, a little bit. Um, but it was good and people liked it it's got a 7.3 on imdb critics liked it slightly more they give it an 86 percent on rotten tomatoes uh i myself was slap bang in the middle i gave it an 8 out of 10 um i thought it was a great film uh, and it just follows a very interesting life um so ryan gosling is uh neil armstrong in this and i think he is fantastic he kind of encapsulates that shut off but deeply troubled man there's a lot of multiple there's a lot of multiple there's multiple scenes where he goes off to be I've put here goes on to be alone he goes off to be alone that's what he does he goes off to be alone and then it feels like he, he can only kind of truly emote then um he's kind of having to do that strong kind of strong got it together sort of uh thing uh Claire Foy is terrific as his wife um she really shows what kind of bottling up uh, emotions does to other people um they have this weird kind of strained relationship but um there are a few scenes in it where they just are happy and it's lovely to see them kind of just dancing or whatever they are and you can tell like in every scene how much they love each other and it it's perfectly summed up with the final scene um because spoiler alert for history he doesn't die they do make it to the moon um the production design is very good i mean i love this love this sort of area like 60s and stuff the short sleeve shirts are amazing i mean it's something that you don't tend to see nowadays people going into work with a shirt and tie but the shirt short sleeve don't see that anymore but it's great uh the technology looks great the tvs the radios the rocket stuff everything's good uh the astronaut school is really cool it kind of shows you how much kind of expertise is really needed there's a lot of sort of complicated stuff um but it's also on like a base so everybody lives in the same neighborhood there's loads of houses and stuff so it's kind of a really nice thing to see kind of the team bonding and it kind of cements that togetherness that i love so much i talked about it last week with uh what do you call it with the end of watch um i love that togetherness love it um and you can tell that everyone enjoys being in each other's company and the any like at the start you think oh when they're going in for interviews and stuff and people are like eyeing up the competition and there might be some rivalries but there isn't any of that like you think that they're going to be some but it's not everyone's just friends and everyone gets along and they kind of they're all you can tell that they're all like in this together and on this same mission and they've all got the same goal and they kind of celebrate each other's successes like if someone is chosen to do something what 
to go on the like the flight to the moon or if someone successfully docks or whatever like they they're all happy about it um and it kind of works towards that the sentiment of that the quote the ascent well i was going to say essential the quintessential quote the iconic iconic line given by neil armstrong in real life the small step for man and a giant leap for mankind it's it's all it's it's just it's all about the the whole it's all about it's all about the whole it's all about the team it's not about the individual um the shuttle the rocket shuttle slash rocket slash module scenes they are all excellent they're all really well done it really shows kind of the situation and the pressure that these people were under and how well they managed to adapt to it um, there's a lot of shaky cam in it, but it's used to great effect because, like, obviously everything's really disorientated and everything's going. So I mean, it's great. Um, I think that some of the radio chatter kind of gets lost in in the noise of everything. I mean, it's not kind of massively important that we hear it because a lot of it is sort of just technical stuff that we don't necessarily understand. But I think it's kind of. It's, it, it would be nice to be able to hear that sort of dialogue, but kind of, it can get a bit lost in the, the noise of kind of the that's going on. Um, but I've, ironically, this film was actually nominated for a sound editing Oscar. It didn't win it, but it was nominated. But I don't think the sound editing was great in this film. Um, it looks great, though. Uh, and it, won, it did win an Oscar for Best Visual Effects, which I think it deserves. The shots in space are amazing. Um, especially given that it's only got a $59 million budget. Um, it's because a lot, though, I think they use the budget to good effect because a lot of it, the film is kind of shot very sort of matter of fact, not documentary style, but sort of like, there's no kind of artistic creativity to it. There's no, no fancy shots, but then when you get to the space shots and kind of everything kind of, especially when you get towards the end and like the, Apollo 11 launch and the moon landing they're just breathtaking they're just stunning they there's a lot of kind of the long shot panning shots there's a lot of artistic shots and it like the fact that you don't have that earlier on just highlights how well everything is shot later on in it and it kind of elevates that sort of wonder and awe I don't think it's a great great choice and and well well worked by the director damien chazelle i think his name is um i think the the film in itself it does a great job of creating tension because a lot of the time with these things you know what happens like especially kind of with the moon landing you know what is gonna happen you know that they make it and i think there's a there was a lot of talk going in well i'd heard a lot of things about the first docking scene in this film which is like the first successful one and yeah, I agree that that is a very tense and that's a great scene. But I think all of the scenes that involved kind of the modules and kind of docking or anything like that, I think they were all really good. I think they're all really tense. And I think that, and like the moon landing scene works just as well as that first docking scene. I think they, they're all really tense. They all have that emotion. It's all really well shot and really well acted. And like I say, you know what happens, but it's still tense. Um, but yeah, uh, some fun fun little facts for you. Uh, so this score for the film, uh, the music score, actually used a theremin, which I didn't know what it was. It's a synth-like instrument that you control by waving your hands around. So you don't actually touch it. You just sort of like wave, it, wave your fingers like a conductor or whatever. And Ryan Gosling found out that during his research that Neil Armstrong was fascinated by it. Um, and so he suggested that they put it in, which I think is a really nice touch. Um, Apollo 10, so the, the moon landing was Apollo 11, and Apollo 10, that was basically a dress rehearsal, so they did everything for the moon landing, apart from landing on the moon. So they they got, they stopped, so they got all the way to the moon, they had the uh, module come out of the detach, and then kind of go down to the moon, but it stopped 8.4 nautical miles. I don't know what a nautical mile is compared to a mile, but it stops 8.4 nautical miles short of landing on the moon. Um, and then goes back up again, and then they're like, yeah, it works, we could do it. Um, 
which I think is a shame for those people, but I think it's one of those things that you probably, it's just one of those things that you need to do, I guess. Um, but funnily enough, um, because, so in the Apollo 11, you've obviously got that famous thing of the eagle has landed, so they called the module the eagle. But if the Apollo 10 had landed, then it would have been the beagle has landed because the module, it wasn't named beagle, but it was named Snoopy after the dog from Peanuts, who is a beagle. So it would have been the beagle has landed, not the eagle has landed, which is I think is fun. Um, also, I know this is a side side thing and not related really, but Snoop Dogg, apparently his name was based on Snoopy as well, uh, the dog from Peanuts, which I think is fun. Um, um, also, um, in like in Fruitvale Station that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there was some actual real audio used, um, and it was from... It was during the moon landing sequence, and it was actual radio audio uh, from Capcom Charles Duke. Didn't know what Capcom means, apart from that it's the developer the of uh, the games developer that developed kind of games like Resident Evil and other things, um, Street Fighter and whatnot. But I looked it up. Capcom means capsule communication. So he's the capsule communication guy, Charles Duke. Um, and his voice and audio was from the actual moon landing was used in the scene for the moon landing, which is a nice touch. Um, but yeah, overall, I think this is a, a great film. There's some fantastic performances in it um, and really good effects. I think it's a solid retelling of a fascinating guy and his out-of-the-world experiences. They use that joke in the film and it lands just as... It lands a lot better than, than mine did. Um, anyway, film number two. Focus. Uh, Will Smith plays a con man who trains up amateur grifter Margot Robbie only for their relationship to cause problems in the future. Um, this film came out in 2015. It had a $50 million budget and it made $159 million. So it made a fair bit of money. Um, it's got a, a 6.6 on IMDb, a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, very kind of sort of middling reviews. I gave it a 7 out of 10, though. I thought it was good and fun. Um, so, I think these characters were well set up. It throws you sort of straight in. It's a great start. Both people are in the middle of the job, and I kind of enjoy the interactions between them and kind of all the ins and outs of the jobs. I mean... I've said it in the past, I think. I love heist films and I love, like, these sort of con artist films. So, like, anything like that is such an easy sell for me. Um, There's a lot of those sort of... I think the start of the film is sort of the better part of the film. There's a lot of those clever... I knew you'd do that, so I'd already done this sort of thing. Um, And he does a good job at kind of showing off people's skills and kind of... There is a part where Will Smith gives a quick lesson on focus, but... I think that that's not really shoehorned in. It's not really like, oh look, the film's called Focus, so we're gonna call it Focus. So we're gonna look. We need to concentrate on focus. I don't know why I've said concentrate. We need to focus on focus. Uh, they didn't do any of that, but um, I thought it was really good. I mean, the, it, or you always suspect that someone has this ulterior motive, which I think um, kind of like. It gives it like a bit of attention. I don't. I think that's like a almost like a thing that I've just thought in my head came come up with in my head. But I'm always like suspecting that because of who they are and who the characters are. You always think like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna turn on someone in a minute. Um, and like I felt that because I feel like the relationship between Will Smith and Margot Robbie kind of works a bit too fast. The relationship seems kind of weird. I feel like the writing was fine i feel like the writing's fine but i feel like the fact that they're lovers makes it a bit weird uh like because will smith is 50 margot robbie's 30 and like it's just a bit of a i mean fair play to people that are like i'm not criticizing anyone there it's like has those sort of age gaps in their relationships but it's just a bit of a weird thing for me and it was a bit of a hard sell seeing will smith and margot robbie being like that and i feel like it maybe should have been like a friends or mentor sort of relationship but anyway, um, there is a moment in this film, an NFL match, and I thought it was great because it's a very good bait and switch with the audience because you've seen a bit about Will Smith's character and you think that it's going one way and then it goes the other way and I think it's great. Um, there's also... I say there's also... 
this is the point where the film sort of takes a bit of a left turn. There's a time jump in it, which took me by surprise. Um, but because there's a time jump, you then have to like tell people what's happened and not show what's happened to them. I mean, they they do go separate ways, and so it's told in sort of a more natural way, like people are catching up over a conversation. But it's still like not like like the one of the rules of film is show not tell. But they tell not shown, so I don't know. Um, the writing, I think, falls down at this point because it they very conveniently meet up again. I feel like it should have been set up by one of them, but it isn't. It's just some some chance meeting, which I think removes some of the believability of the film, uh, which I hadn't got any problem with it until that point. Um, also, Margot Robbie's character, she kind of progresses a bit through the first half of the film and she learns things. And then, like, you come back to her after the time jump and she's just... It's like she's going to step back. Um, I don't know. It's just a bit weird. Um, but there is a nice kind of a Ocean's Eleven twist at the end. Uh, there's, like, a good callback to an earlier scene. Um, but there are some stuff that doesn't make sense. I mean, like, the stuff that it's not necessarily teased, like, there's reveals, but it's like, it's, they've talked about it a little bit, but there's no real sort of tease with certain characters or whatever, um, it's almost like there was two separate writers, which, funnily enough, is what happened, because it was written and directed by a pair, by a pair of people called Glenn Ficara and Jan, John Require, um, which, I don't know, sometimes it works, but I feel like in this film it could have benefited from just one vision and kind of just one person making sure that everything ties together rather than two of them, but I don't know. Um, like I say, the first half of the film for me was more fun and kind of worked better. Um, and so maybe it should have just been around that time period, but I mean, then you don't get like the big sort of story beats of the film. Um, so maybe you just run through the first half really quickly and then go and then focus on the second half more, but that was the less fun part, so I don't know, maybe that would have made it worse. I don't know, it's just a bit of a weird film. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed it because of the kind of the heist and all the stuff, especially the first half of the film, but I think there are points of this film where it's just like, maybe just needs another pass on the script or something, just needs someone else just to come in and look over it and go, maybe change that a bit. Um... But yeah, um, fun facts about this film. Uh, it's not really about the film, but uh, Margot Robbie actually taught Will Smith to swim on the set. I mean, how is this guy 50 and he can't swim? I mean, he was in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air for ages and they had a pool house. Just go in the pool. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure I've seen pictures of him at the beach and stuff. How can he not swim? Um, also, there's a dig at Australia in this film which was actually suggested by Margot Robbie, who is Australian. Uh, she was a Neighbours. Uh, they're always in Neighbours or Home and Away, aren't they? The Australian actors, anyway. Um, but apparently she does it in most of her films. She like asks for like them to put a little dig at Australia in. I think maybe she mentions it as well, which apparently makes her friends and family laugh, so I like it. Um, but also, I think this is the most interesting fact to me, that... This was the first film that was edited using Apple's Final Cut Pro X, which is a popular video editing software that is widely available. Loads of people use it. Um, and so I just thought it was really interesting that it, they don't use, like, a massive, like, I don't know, like a really expensive editing software. They use one that is widely available and that anybody can use. So I think that that sort of gives hope to people. Um, that are just editing anything um, but also according to model Margot Robbie that the film was shot the film was edited while it was being shot which I think saves a lot of time because uh, you don't really have that post-production stuff but yeah I just think it, it because maybe because it was Final Cut Pro X and there's no massive effects in it then you could do that um, but I don't know I think it's just a, an interesting thing that and it kind of like I say, it gives a hope to people that are using Final Cut Pro X. Like, this is what you can do with it. Um, with, like, a regular sort of editing software, which I think is nice. Um, but, yeah, uh, overall, I sort of... I, I liked the film. I loved the, the sort of the action scenes, uh, if you will. 
But some of the logic and the story problems, I think, just lets the film down a bit. Um, but anyway, moving on to the third and finale film of this week. Uh, it's Fracture. Um, so this is a young lawyer who takes on a seemingly open and shut case of a husband murdering his wife, but then things aren't quite as simple as they seem. Um, it came out in 2007, so we're going back in the day. Um, it got an $11 million budget, and it made $92 million, so it made a decent chunk of change. Um, when I'm talking about budgets and stuff, I, I always forget to say this, because people might be new to this week, and I always forget, when you're talking about budgets and things, um, you always want to kind of double the budget um, because because of marketing uh so marketing is generally the same as the production budget which is the one that's always quoted and so to make money you'd need to make your more than your production budget and your marketing budget combined so you'd have to make more than twice as much as your budget so uh so for example with fracture uh their overall budget will be 22 million and so they've made like 70 million dollars off that which is good stuff that's what you want um but people people liked it everyone sort of liked it as much the same uh it's got a 7.2 on imdb 71 percent on rotten tomatoes i myself i enjoyed it a bit more than they did i give it an 8 out of 10 um i thought it was a very solid film uh, it's got some nice twists and turns in it but i mean there's not a lot to say about this film because it's very plot driven so there's it's hard to talk about it without spoiling anything I mean, all the performances are really great. There's a boyish Ryan Gosling who works well. He's, like, confident and smooth. Um, Anthony Hopkins plays a great villain. We know that from Hannibal Lecter and stuff. Um, the idea of Ryan Gosling moving on to another job serves the film well because it means that he's not so focused on on the case and it kind of gives him more to lose because he could lose two jobs rather than just a one if it goes wrong. Um, and you kind of see, I think it worked well, this film, because you can see the increased desperation of Ryan Gosling's character, which is contrasted with Anthony Hopkins becoming like this calmer and ca- like cool and calculated uh, guy. Like you sort of see him more and more kind of enjoying the game of it. Um, Anthony Hopkins have some motivation at the start, which I think gives you some kind of sympathy. But I mean, that quickly goes out the window because he starts to enjoy it more. And he's like, I don't know. I think he just, I think he just likes it. I, I don't, yeah. Mm. Like you, you think it's a crime of passion and then you're like, mm, maybe not. Maybe he just enjoys this. Um, this film doesn't really have any artistic vision or anything. The director doesn't really kind of go anywhere with it. But I think, that that is fine i mean because you it, this film is definitely all about the plot and so the fact that you've not got any kind of fancy uh shots or anything it does well because it doesn't distract from the plot or the kind of the story revealing itself i think the end uh reveal is actually a good one um it's not necessarily one that was teased so i don't know whether i mean it maybe was but i think it's not one that i'm kind of like angry about though i'm not like oh well how was i supposed to get that but like i mean i'd have to rewatch it because maybe there were a, were a couple of hints in there um but i kind of liked it i thought it was quite clever um but yeah the the actual actual ending though um i think i think works well i mean it's kind of satisfying i think it's always satisfying when there's like legal loopholes i kind of worked and worked in and kind of used to good effect I mean, it happens at multiple points in the film, and I think it's it's always good stuff. I mean, I quite like legal films because of just any legal film or TV show. I kind of like it, and like the sort of back and forth kind of like finding which legal thing works can counteract your legal argument and things. I kind of like that. Um, but yeah, some fun facts about this film. Uh, I know this is a bit of a short conversation about it, but like I say, you can't really talk much about it when... when you're not spoiling it. Um, there's a bunch of case files and boxes and stuff which have case names of like people versus blah 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 on them, which refers to kind of multiple members of the crew, which I think is nice. Like all the way through the film, they've got like crew members' names in the background, which I think is cool. Um, so Ryan Gosling's house in this film um, is actually opposite another house 
that is used for Matthew McConaughey's character in another legal film, The Lincoln Lawyer. So that's obviously the street where they where movie lawyers work. Or work? Where they live. Live and work, because they li- work all the time. They don't seem to have any free time off. Um, there's also some glass marble machines that are in this film, um, which I thought were quite cool. They were designed by Dutch artist Mark Bischoff in the film. Um, I mean, look up the videos for them. Just type in, like, fracture glass marble machines, because they're, they're really cool. Um, and they were kind of used, apparently, for, like, an analogue of twisting and turning nature of the plot, as well as kind of the variation in Anthony Hopkins' character, which I think is really interesting. Apparently, the, uh, the like, the effects team were kind of quite happy to, like, work on building these machines, because it's something different to what they normally do, like all the pyrotechnics or whatever. So I think it's it's quite a cool thing. They like some of these things are massive. They're like six foot tall, um, but they're really cool. I like them. I definitely have one in my house. Um, but yeah, overall, this it's a great solid film. It's got some very interesting plot points, and I think it keeps you in grip the entire time. I I, I definitely recommend it. Um, out of all of them, I don't know which I'd, I'd recommend the most. I mean, I think Focus is probably the weakest of them all, but. Um, I mean, it, it literally depends on whether you're after like a a crime legal thing or a biopic sort of thing. So we're moving on to the film that was not the film, a film that wasn't, because there's plenty, plenty of films that weren't. And you will know that this week, from the title, you will know that it is enter the sandman well it's just it's just sandman it's just called sandman it's not called enter the sandman it's just called sandman but um this is one that i've seen quite a lot it's uh it's an interesting one uh i was gonna say an interesting one for me because it's based on a comic book i haven't actually read the comic book but i've heard lots of great things about it it's meant to be one of the best comic books of all time sort of thing um it's a Vertigo comic, which is DC, but it's not DC. Um, it's written by Neil Gaiman, who you may know for American... His Some of his stuff has been adapted into stuff that you will know, like American Gods, which is now the TV show. Uh, Good Omens, also a TV show with David Tennant in it. Um, Stardust, the film from back in the day that Take That did a song on, uh, that's got Daredevil in it, it's got Charlie Cox in it. Um, and also Coraline, which is the the animation, uh, is it stop motion or claymation or whatever, that's got the girl with uh, buttons for eyes or something. I don't know, I've not seen it. Um, but yeah, um, so he's obviously had a bunch of stuff adapted already, um, which, or since. Uh, so he's no stranger to getting things adapted. But he's referred to this adaptation process as cutting up a baby and shoving it into a little box full of meat, which I think is, well, I mean, it's a thing, isn't it? Um, but just I'm just going to let that sit there for a bit. And while, while I'm talking through all this, just imagine a baby being cut up and shoved into a little box full of meat. Um, so this comic ran from 1989 to 1996, um, the adaptation started in the early nineties. Um, so they got um, so Warner Brothers, who are DC's parent company and who were uh, will be would be making said film. Um, they got Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio on board to write a script. They written at the time they'd written Aladdin, which obviously is great. Um, and they would go on to write Zorro, Shrek, and the Pirates of the Caribbean, which I think is interesting. Um, but Warner Brothers weren't happy. They said that the script was undeliverable. Um, but uh, they did bring in a producer called John Peters, who uh, seems to be the butcher of making this film, and he seems to be the one cutting up the babies and the meat. Um uh, he's famous for being an absolute nutter, basically, and demanding that Superman not wear his costume in an unmade Superman Lives film, which we may talk about in the future. Um, he's also obsessed with fight- someone fighting a giant mechanical spider in the end, apparently. He, was, he wanted that to be in the Superman film and other things. 
but he eventually got his wish. He eventually produced Wild Wild West, which actually got a giant mechanical spider in that film, which uh, I think loads of people don't like. I kind of like that film. Um, but good for him. He got his spider. Um, but yeah, John Peters was demanding all sorts of crazy stuff being the script. And the writers, uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, they didn't want it in there, understandably. Um, and so the script was dumped. But then Roger Avery came in. Um, so this guy had just come off winning a Best Original Screenplay Oscar with Quentin Tarantino for Pulp Fiction. So if you got if you want someone to write a script for you, you want this guy. Um he came in, uh he said the script was good and they actually wanted to direct it. So a second draft was done. Um but again John Peters wanted to get his his weird wacky antics and his weird spidery fingers in their pie. Um and so Roger Avery actually left over creative differences. You know those that common thing of creative differences where people just don't like each other um but i hear you say what is sandman all about why are all these creative differences well i've not read the comic but i have done some research which you will be glad to know uh i don't because these this stuff's not just off the top of my head you know i don't just know all these things i have to i have to actually do some research uh which Base change, but um, as far as I'm aware, uh, Sandman is this massively complicated fantasy story. Uh, so the titular Sandman is the personification of dreams, who's also known as just Dream or Morpheus. Um, but he is captured by an occult ritual and trapped for seventy years. But then he escapes into the modern day and tries to rebuild his dream world kingdom uh, and get revenge on his captors. But apparently he does go it, but it seems to go into some other world or other worldly stuff and weirdness. There's hell in there, Asgard, the past. Uh, they've got other personification characters of destiny, death, desire, delight, despair, and other things. So it just seems to be a weird, weird thing that is kind of good. But I think that's Neil Gaiman down to a T. A lot of. The stuff that he does is kind of weird but good. American Gods, eh. uh, Good Omens was weird but good. I mean, so uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, it's it's supposed to be a, a a critically acclaimed and very very popular series, um, and was one of the like comics that made it into like mainstream sort of thing. It's like an actual like work of art sort of thing and like a really good story, um, but. Out of all of this stuff um, that happened and all these creative differences and falling out, it's not all bad from that because Gaiman and Avery, they liked working together. Uh, And so they co-wrote the screenplay for Beowulf, which is the weird animated film where Angelina Jolie's a naked gold lady. It's kind of weird. I don't know if I like it. It's... Well, you can go and see it for yourself. It's like a weird... Is it Norse? I think it's not. It's something like that. Um, It's strange, though. Anyway, back to 1998, and Warner Brothers and Peters, John Peters, brought in a guy called William Farmer to write a new script. So I looked this guy up. He has only written three scripts and screenplays to date, and they were all after 1998. And the only one that I've heard of is Jonah Hex, which, if you haven't heard of it, don't blame you. It was a DC cowboy film that came out in 2010, I think, and it was no good. I kind of liked it at the time because I was a teenager and I liked anything that had guns and comics in it. Um, it it made $10 million off of a $47 million budget, so it bombed massively. And it's got a 12% on Rotten Tomato, so it's, it's terrible. Um, but anyway... That you've got this guy to to write Sandman, this massively complicated thing. His Sandman script leaked online, and people absolutely ripped it a new one. Um, apparently, it ended the film with the "it was all a dream" thing. Like you're, it, it's a film about dreams, and your main character is the personification of dreams, and you've ended it with "it was all a dream," which makes no sense. What are you doing? Apparently, Farmer said that he never really considered it his script. 
because it was a, this is a quote, it was a big monster written by committee, which I think sums up, which, I mean, that's, that's to me, that sounds like Peter, John Peter's getting his spidery fingers in there, isn't it? He, he's probably got a spider in there too. Anyway, uh, Gaiman said that, like, talking about the process, he said they started out hiring some really good people and you got some solid scripts. And then John Peters fired everyone and got in some people who take orders, who wanted fistfights and all this stuff. It had no sensibility and it was just, they were horrible. Um, he said that Peters simply didn't understand Sandman because it doesn't seem like it's a set, like a generic, well, I was going to say, like a, your typical sort of superhero thing. It seems like something else. Um, and he said that Peters just didn't understand it. Um and his script with the proposed changes was just unparalleled crap. And the last Warner Brothers script that he was actually sent, which presumably was this farmer uh, script, um, he said that it was not just the worst Sandman script he'd ever seen, but it was quite easily the worst script he'd ever read, which, if that is, that is damning. Um, but yeah, so into development hell it went. Uh, Gaiman had said that, kind of over the years uh, in the 2000s that he wanted someone who was passionate about it like uh, Peter Jackson was with Lord of the Rings or Sam Raimi with Spider-Man he quite liked the idea of Telly Terry Telly of Terry Gilliam uh, making it um, Terry Gilliam is the former Monty Python uh, he made 12 Monkeys for In Loathing in Las Vegas and Imaginarium with Dr. Parnassus so he kind of makes some weird stuff so he may have been a good fit I don't know um, and he he got that weird sort of humor to it. Apparently, it's like it's got some black comedy in it, so would have worked, I guess. Uh, but in December twenty thirteen, uh, David S. Goyer, who uh had a hand in writing the Blade trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy, Man of Steel, and Batman v Superman, so some ups and downs. Uh, in that, he said that he would be working on a Sandman adaptation with none other than Joseph Gordon Levitt, who. Uh, at the time, had just done Don John, the film that I talked about the other week. Um, so it all, it all ties together. Um, but they'd both be working with Neil Gaiman on that film. They brought in Jack Thorne who to write the script, who is a writer who's worked on a bunch of English TV shows and some plays, including Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I don't know why it's a cursed. Is it cursed or cursed? I don't know. Um... Apparently everyone was happy with the script, the studio was happy, the writers were happy, the producers were happy, everyone was happy. Um, but um, they brought in uh, Eric Heiserer, Heiserer um, in on, they brought him on in 2015 just to kind of revise the script, uh, in, just, just so that they could get it ready for production in 2016, just to kind of touch it up, I guess. Uh, Eric Heiserer had uh, come off Getting a, he got Best Original Screenplay for Arrival, which is a fantastic film. You should see it. Um, so you got this guy in who, who's a great scriptwriter, and uh, so it's all fine. But it clearly wasn't fine because Joseph Gordon-Levitt left the day after. The day after. I don't understand. Like, I, what? He left the day after they hired a new guy. Uh, apparently he disagreed with the creative direction of the film, so maybe Heisser did more than just revise the script. Maybe it was like a page one rewrite. Um, but clearly everyone wasn't happy with Thorne's script if if uh, if that was kind of happening. Um, so obviously something got on behind the scenes. But what was worse about all this is that Heisser also left the project. So he basically came in, ruined it, and left. Um, apparently he said that it would be better as an HBO series, so I don't know why, he, like, you've been brought on to write, to do, just, just do a job, don't, don't, oh, weird, um, but obviously there's behind the scenes stuff that, uh, didn't go well, so this adaptation also didn't happen, but, unlike a lot of the films that we've talked about that haven't been made, this one actually has a happy ending, potentially, um, There'd been a lot of TV adaptation kind of talked in between all the film adaptation talk. Um, and the, the TV series Lucifer um, actually got made um, 
like the the character of Lucifer is based on the Sandman version of Lucifer, though it's technically not accurate to the comics. Um, but yeah, um, but in June 2019, uh, so just last year, Netflix announced that they're making a Sandman series. Gaiman and Goya are still on board, and they've brought on a guy called Alan Heinberg to showrun it. Um, he wrote Wonder Woman, so he's got some DC pedigree. I think this is a great move. DC and, well, just Netflix and comic books are a great fit, I think, because um, Netflix have got a lot of darker comic book adaptations already. Uh, October Faction, Lock and Key, Umbrella Academy, Van Helsing, and they've got some similar shows that kind of work that you could almost see as being a comic book thing like Stranger Things. Um, Sandman had often been talked about kind of it's more it's less about the individual things it's more about the long game it's kind of because it's this long running series that went on for like seven years so it's all about the long game um and so people often said that it would make a better tv show than a film um and netflix actually have uh what they they have the rights to lucifer now they because it got cancelled after three series i think or or something and then they picked it up and they've made a series already. They've made the series four, and their series five is in production, uh, or it's on its way anyway. So I think bringing Sandman on board, they obviously have experience working with that sort of material already. Uh, Gaiman obviously seems to like what they're sort of doing with Lucifer. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. To be honest, I'm looking forward to this actually getting made. I mean, it's not technically a film, so this will still count and it's not been made yet so it's still a film that wasn't made but um yeah i think it'd be interesting if it does get made and i think it should be good hopefully uh, as the tv series uh but yeah let's move on it's quick fic uh for those that aren't aware this is the part of the show where i just make up some nonsense basically i take one of 20 characters, film characters. I'll take one of 20 film franchises. I put said character in said film franchise. And I'm trying to make a prequel, sequel, spin-off or reboot of them. Um, it's all randomised. So let's see uh, what kind of film we're making. We're making a prequel. We're making a prequel with Jigsaw. So the villain of um, what's his, of um, the Saw films. Making a prequel to... Pirates of the Caribbean with Jigsaw. How does that work? Um, well, I think it'd be fun to kind of have all of those. I'd love to see the contraptions that he makes in that time. Um, how do you make a prequel to Pirates of the Caribbean? So he's obviously some sort of pirate thing. Or hmm, maybe he has some sort of pirate port or ship or something. And then... I don't know, because they're all about curses and things, aren't they? So, maybe he's a cursey sort of man, and he puts tricks and stuff on things. Because the first film's about the gold, right? And there was a curse on the gold. And then there's Davy Jones and stuff. So, I don't know, how do you get a guy that makes traps into that? Um, I mean, maybe you could make him like a... I don't know, like... Because you've got that Lord Cutler Beckett, who's like the British um, sort of, I was going to say general, like Navy person. So maybe you make him like one of these Navy people and he ha- he he has it out for pirates. And so depending on what sort of crime they do, he makes some sort of trap uh, based on that. And he utilises curses. Uh, maybe he um, teases people that, he lures people in with some sort of curse and then it's like with some sort of thing like thing of treasure but then it turns out it's a curse like i don't know like um they i don't know like maybe someone steals children or something um and then so he lures people in with like an orphanage but then it it turns out that they that it's a curse and they they become one of the kids and all the children in the orphanage are pirates that have been made into kids or something. I don't know, something like that. Um, I don't know, things like that. I think that would be fun. Um, you could do a, a few little things like that and then, um, I don't know. 
Captain Jack Sparrow comes along and he's like, yeah, I just drink a lot, don't I? So, I don't know, just get out of the trap. I've been in a weird dream world thing where there's lots of crabs. The crab, the crabs are rocks. The boat, boats are crabs. Crabs, are, crabs carry boats. There's boats and crabs and stones and eggs or rocks or p- crabs. Uh, so, yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun. Let's. That, I'm going with that. I mean, it's it's almost obviously it would be take place before, but. I mean the pre like oh, how do you make almost like a pre I don't know maybe he has some sort of tour maybe he has some sort of uh, I don't know the way I think the way you make it a prequel is he he has some sort of connection to like the Commodore or someone like that um, so then it, it's definitely a prequel and not a sequel and then maybe he dies and nobody talks about it I don't know something like that um, I think that would work. Um, but yeah, if you've got any other ideas on that, which you must do, because uh, I didn't feel that was a good one this week. I'm sorry. Um, but if you've got any other ideas on how to make a Pirates of the Caribbean prequel with Jigsaw, or uh, if you've watched any of the films this week and would like to talk about it, or if you've got any views on um, Sandman being a TV series, or um, what was the thing we talked about at the start? The online conventions um then you can get in touch at all out walker on twitter or um at filmmeuppod at outlook.com if you'd like to send an email because i'm 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 on the emails as well um thank you very much for listening i very much appreciate it i'll be back next week with set g um and uh if you want to find out what the set g films will be then you can do by following me at All Out Walker and I will tweet out what the films are on Monday. Um, and if and you can feel free to watch them or not, because I don't spoil it. So it's up to you. Um, but that's next week. Um, I'll see you then. Bye.